This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. Second Kings chapter 3. Now Jehoram the son of Ahab became king of Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. This was the time of the divided kingdom. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of, of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went, went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go up with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. That happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered suddenly, that suddenly water came by way of Eden and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. 
And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. And so they came to the camp of Israel. But Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Gerhashirath intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but he could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. Verse 16, And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. We've all heard the saying, When you're in a hole, stop digging. In other words, when you're in a tight spot, don't do things that's going to make it worse than what it already is. Just stop digging the hole. The title of my message this morning is the complete opposite of that. I say this morning, when you're in a hole, start digging. That was the message to these three kings who were in a hole. They were in a tight spot. They were in a valley. They had gathered themselves together to fight against the king of Moab. And we saw how they went this roundabout route for seven days in the wilderness. And at the end of the seven days, they had neither uh, water for themselves or for their horses or their animals. And they were in dire straits. And so they sought out a man of God. And the message from the man of God was very simple. It was, start digging. Dig those ditches. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. Question, are you in a hole today? Answer, start digging. And keep digging. Not to make things worse, but to make things better. Notice here, they had to prepare for God to give them a breakthrough. They had to start digging for God to give them the breakthrough that they needed. And they got their breakthrough. They got all the water they would ever need. But they had to dig the ditches. Notice what they had to do. They sought the Lord, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him. It's a pity they hadn't inquired of the Lord in the first place before they went ever out to battle. It's also a pity that they were so unfamiliar with the prophet of God that they didn't even know where he lived. They had to go and find him. They had to search for him. But at least at the last, they found the prophet. At least in the end, they sought the Lord. It's always a good thing to seek the Lord. Better to seek the Lord early but at least better late than never. Amen? And so they sought the Lord. Secondly, they had to act in faith. Digging ditches seemed a very futile thing to do. I mean, there was no sign of water anywhere near them. There was no sign of rain. 
There wasn't even a cloud in the sky, not even the size of a man's hand. There was nothing, there was no evidence whatsoever that by digging ditches that they would get their prayers answered. But they had to act on faith. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water. There would be no evidence. It would be easy to dig those ditches if there was clouds in the sky. If you could see rain clouds in the distance, it would be easy then because you would know it's going to happen. But there was nothing. They were in a wilderness. It was bone dry, yet they had to act in faith and they had to, thirdly, obey the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord. The prophet has spoken. The prophet to them was as close to God as they possibly could get in those days. And when the prophet spoke, that was a word from heaven. Thus saith the Lord. And so they started digging. They were in a hole, but they started digging. There was no water, but they started digging. And at that moment they started digging. God had arranged in the far distant mountains beyond their sight. God had arranged for those dark thunder clouds to hit those mountains and come down the mountains and all the way down into the valley to fill their ditches. It was out of their sight, but it was also out of sight of their enemy also. And often whenever we act in faith and trust the word of the Lord, it's beyond our natural ability. It's beyond what we can see or hear or think. And it's beyond the enemy's ability. You shall not see the wind. You shall not see the rain. Yet that valley shall be full of water. So they got the breakthrough that they required. And they fought a battle and they had a great victory. Because they started digging their ditches. Come with me please to the book of the Daniel. Book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. First chapter of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, or Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Let's just stop there for a moment. Let me just give you a little backstory in this. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, was an idolater. And he had the whole nation in idolatry. He loved to worship other gods. And for that, and for other things, we'll speak in a moment, he was going to go into captivity. God had given ample an opportunity for him to repent, but he would not. This is a king, by the way, that at one point, uh, Jeremiah the prophet, God has spoken to him, and he called Baruch, who was like a scribe, 
and he asked him to write it down on a scroll. And then it was taken to the temple. Jeremiah wasn't allowed into the temple, but he says, Baruch, you take that to the temple and read it unto the people. Thus saith the Lord. And he did. Word got back to the palace. The king's ears pricked up. He wanted to know what was going on, so he sent for the scroll to be read to him. So another man began to read the scroll to Jehoiakim. And he hadn't read three or four lines, and Jehoiakim got so angry because this was a pronouncement of judgment against his nation and against him. And he didn't like that. So you know what he did? He was in his winter palace, and there was a great big blazing fire. He took the scribe's knife, and he cut it, the scroll of the Word of God in pieces and threw it into the fire. That's the type of person we're dealing with here. <laughs> Nearly pulled my ear off that microphone there. So that's, that's the kind of evil, wicked idolater that we're dealing with here. Also, the land, every seven years, God had given commandment that the land was to rest. So every seventh year was a Sabbath year for the land to completely rest. They would not be allowed to plant anything. But God would make that up because of the other years before there'd be good harvest, so they wouldn't need to. Now you'd think that would be a simple thing to do. But for 490 years now, they had not done that. Every seventh year passed and they broke every Sabbath year. So there were 70 Sabbath years in that 490 year period. So for every Sabbath year that they broke, God says, I'll put you into captivity. So they're in captivity for 70 years. And by the way, the Jewish people never since that time ever were idolatrous again. They were monotheistic. They worshipped one God and one God only, the true God. And so... Here they are, getting into captivity, and typically what would happen, Nebuchadnezzar or any other despot, typically what would happen was they would go into the land, they would overcome the land, they would slaughter thousands of people, but they would take the best, the cream of the land, the young men, particularly the young men, and the smartest and the wisest, they would the fittest and the best looking, they would take them, and particularly from the, the nobility side of the nation, and they would take them and they would bring them back to their land as captives. And some of them would simply be slaves, but out of all of those hundreds, if not thousands that they had captured, they would select out of that a smaller group, those that they were the best that they could find among the captives, and they would train them in the ways of Babylon so that they could serve in Nebuchadnezzar's palace and be part of his uh, courtiers, uh, which would be a prestige thing for him to have. So that's, that's the backdrop to this. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans." The devil wants the best of youth and he wants to brainwash them and he wants to train them in his ways, the ways of this world. I'm not saying all protests are bad, but if you look at protesting around the world and over the years, by and large, generally, it's young people, it's young students, university students who are out in the street protesting. 
television is run by 30-somethings. The smartest and the cleverest and the brightest get these jobs and get into positions where they can put the world's agenda right there in the front, right in your face. And so this is what this king was doing here. He was picking the best, the cream of the crop. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them. So they're going to have three years in the University of Babylon so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Why would he do that? In all probability, because it had been offered unto idols. And in and of itself, the food and the wine would have been fine, but because it had been offered unto idols, he felt we must take a stand here. This is not for us. This is not kosher. This is not godly for us. So we will not do this. Now remember, there's only four young men mentioned here. So of all the thousands that were captive, of all the probably hundreds that were separated and selected for this treatment, only four, these four, stood up and said no. We can only assume that the rest compromised and capitulated and probably justified it by saying, do you know what? Now that we're in Babylon, maybe the best way to reach these Babylonians with a true God, Jehovah, maybe it would be if we would just, just give in a little bit and just draw alongside. I mean, it's only some wine. It's only some delicacies. What could be harmful with that? And maybe we could get on their side and then we could witness to them better. But Daniel and the three Hebrew boys said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to give in. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to compromise. We're going to stand for what we believe is the truth and we're not going to do it. And at that point, they're in a hole, a big hole. A dangerous hole. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? then you would endanger my head before the king. <laughs> this is quite a hole they're in now, isn't it? Not only are they defying the king's command, which could be death, because these kings didn't fool around. You disobeyed at your peril, and they knew that. But not only that, 
that this man who had befriended them, who had been kind to them, now what they're doing is going to put his life in danger. So now they're getting pressure from all sides. It would have been so easy to cave. been so easy to capitulate. It, they could have justified it by saying, well, look, we, we don't want to put his life in danger. We know this is not right. We're against this. But we'll do this because we don't want him killed. But Daniel had purposed in his heart. He had thought this thing through. Come what may, he wasn't going to do it. So what did Daniel do? He started digging. He's in a hole, but he starts digging. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies and you will, as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. This took an enormous step of faith and courage to do this. Here's a man, here's young men who are only teenagers, young teenagers, out of all of the captives, said, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. And this is how we're going to do it. And they said, test us for 10 days. All that king's delicacies and his wine, leave it aside, just give us vegetables, just give us water. At the end of 10 days, have a look at us and do what you see fit to do. That took guts, didn't it? It took courage, it took faith. But you see, he's digging, isn't he? And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. If you don't compromise and you don't give in, God will honor that. Amen? He'll honor it. You honor him, he will honor you. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, the king had said that they should be brought in. How long would that be? In the days when the king said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, note it, ten times better. Test us for ten days. All right? Test it for 10 days. Now God says, I'll honor them for that. How does he honor them? He makes them 10 times smarter and better. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of the king of Cyrus. When you're in a hole, start digging. Trust God.
believe him. Don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't give up. Chapter 3 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And they set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The chapter doesn't tell us whether this was an image of himself, but we can almost be nearly certain that it was an image of himself. Tyrants were and are prone to do this. We know that the Caesars did it. Everywhere in the Roman Empire, there was statues of the Caesars. We know that in, in recent history, that Stalin and Lenin, you go into any of the former Soviet countries, now we've seen them in the Ukraine, uh, images, bronze, iron images of Stalin and Lenin. Uh, we know that in North Korea, you have the Kemal Sung dynasty. And all over North Korea are these great bronze statues of the, the great leader, the eternal leader, as they call it. Uh, we know that Saddam Hussein, all over Iraq, had these great statues of himself. And it was a kind of idolatry and worship, and it put fear into the hearts of people. And so here's this king, and he's doing this. And we know that the Antichrist, in Revelation 13, what will he do? He'll raise up a great statue, and it will have power to speak. And it will strike terror into the hearts of those who see and hear. So here he is, he makes this great statue. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps and the administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, this wasn't optional, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." So not much choice here. If you don't do this, you're going to die a horrible death. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Notice here, all nations, all people, all languages. That includes all of the captives. Every last one of them. And there was thousands of them. And thousands from Israel. And hundreds out of that were specially chosen, as we had read in chapter 1, to serve the king. They're included in this. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke to the king 
said to king, sorry, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery and symphony, with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See how they were promoted? Set over the affairs of the province. O king, they have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So here is a monster of a despot who would think nothing of slaughtering people or burning them alive. Wouldn't cause them a wink of sleep. And he's indignant because here are these captives that he's trained for three years and he's given them prestige jobs in his land. And how dare they in return for all of that, not even bow down and worship this image. And then he makes the fatal mistake. Devil always goes too far, doesn't he? Give him enough rope to hang himself. He makes the fatal mistake. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? <laughs> And as soon as he said that, suddenly it's not him against the three Hebrew boys, it's him against God. <laughs> and he's not going to win this battle, sure he's not. And when God's on your side, you're in the majority, isn't it? So they're in a hole, a big hole. They're in deep trouble. So what do they do? Start digging. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, three words, Three words that revealed the heart and the courage and the tenacity of these young men. But if not, even if he doesn't, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. <laughs> See, they're digging now. They're digging. What an attitude. 
God, I'm going to serve you because I know that you will honor me for that and you will stand by me. I know that things will go well for me. But if not, just in case you have other plans that I don't know about. Just in case we have to die in that fiery furnace, we will still not serve other gods. We'll only serve you. That's digging, isn't it? Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The original says, like the Son of the gods. Because he didn't know the Son of God. But there was something distinctly different about that fourth man. And all he could say, it's like the Son of the gods. And it was the Son of God who had drawn alongside them in the midst of that fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came, into the midst of the, came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver it like this." Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <laughs> they were in a hole, but they started digging. And God came through for them, didn't they? God came through for them. I haven't really time, but if you read Daniel chapter 6, you'd see the story of Daniel and how he got thrown into the lion's den. And how he dug and dug and dug and continued to dig 
in spite of the decree that was made, in spite of the plot and the conspiracy that was hatched against him. He went into his house, he opened his window, faced towards Jerusalem, prayed three times a day as he did a four time. He just kept on digging. <laughs> and God delivered him. Glory to God. Paul and Silas have been beaten, whipped, they're bloodied, they're bruised. They're thrown into a dark dungeon. Make no mistake about it, they were in pain. They were probably in agony. But what did they do? They started digging. And they dug a hole of prayer and they dug a hole of praise. At midnight, at the darkest hour, they started digging. <laughs> Don't you love it? They started digging at the darkest hour of their lives. When they were in pain and they were hurt and they were in prison. And God sent an earthquake and delivered them. Glory to God. And the jailer and his family got saved. Huh. And the church of Philippi was born. Church in Europe happened. Which is one of the reasons why we're sitting here today. Because two men dug a hole of prayer and they dug a hole of praise. Let me finish with this. <clears throat> John the beloved disciple, the last of the apostles, still alive. All of the apostles are dead. Even the apostle Paul is dead. John's in his 80s. A.D. 95, Emperor Domitian made a decree that everyone should worship him as Lord. Now, all of the Caesars did this, but some did, and he did. Of course, believers could only worship one Lord, couldn't they? And here's John, an old man in his 80s, apostle, pastor to the church at Ephesus, and he doesn't do it. I mean, can assume other believers didn't do it. But he doesn't do it. And for that, He's in a hole. He's shipped off to the Isle of Patmos, that rocky volcanic island in the Aegean Sea that is a Roman penal colony. And as an old man, he's shipped off there probably to do hard labor. And there he is, cut off from family, cut off from friends, cut off from his church, cut off from his ministry. but he starts digging. Not just that old volcanic rock in the soil, but he starts digging. And Revelation, here's what he said. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I've been thinking about that. What does that mean? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How did he get into the Spirit on the Lord's day? He must have woke up that day and says, you know what, this is the Lord's day. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Even though I'm old and all this stuff has happened to me, 
And even though this is hard and tough on me, but you know what? I'm going to rejoice today. And maybe, 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 maybe during a break, I don't know, maybe he just got on his knees and put up his two old hands and said, Lord, do you know what? I'm just going to worship you today. I'm going to praise you. And at that moment, the Spirit of God came on him. And suddenly, he had a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the man that was with Jesus for three and a half years, the one who leaned on his breast, the one who followed him closely, but he never saw Jesus like this. Yes, he saw him in the Mount of Transfiguration, but he never saw him like this. What a vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ standing in the midst of the seven churches. And suddenly he's in the Spirit. And suddenly he's caught up in the Spirit. And God gives him a mighty revelation. And we have it in 22 chapters at the back of our Bible. Because he started to dig. He was in a hole, but he started to dig. Are you in a hole today? Maybe you can see no way out. The pressure's on. Things has gone against you. What are you going to do? Start digging and digging and digging until God breaks through. Until that ditch is full of water. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your promises. We bless you that you said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. That you would be with us even unto the end. So whether we feel that or even sense that, it's still real and it's true because it's your word and it's your promise. So we thank you today. Help us, Lord, in the difficult days and the dark times to dig to dig into prayer, to dig into praise, to dig into worship, to dig into the Word of God, but to dig and to dig and to dig until we get the breakthrough that we need. So we bless you for this today. Touch, Lord, every person in this church, Lord. Whatever needs they have physically, emotionally, maybe they need direction in their life. Maybe they need a financial miracle and a breakthrough. Maybe, Lord, they need, Lord, a, a physical breakthrough in their bodies. Lord, touch them today. Break through in their lives and give them the miracle that they need for the glory of God. Pray, Lord, for Margaret today, Margaret Brady, Lord. Lord, she's struggling, Lord. She's suffered so much for so long, Lord, with this. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you lay your hand upon Margaret, Lord, and raise her out of that sick bed in Jesus' name, Lord. Touch her, Lord, to the glory of God in Jesus' name. So we give you thanks, Lord, for your mercies that are new and they're fresh every morning, for great is your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos, 
at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecost.